Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Oh, it's so steamy outside. Unbelievable. Just a walk from the subway to the studio, I was... I sweat in buckets. I was reminded of the Irish international soccer team when they played in USA 94 in the, in the middle of the summer and they had to go to Orlando. Mm-hmm. And the one thing they said during the warm-up was like, you didn't have to run. You just walk and you were absolutely sweating. So I hope everyone is wearing breathable clothes. Yeah, and uh, it's not just us here. The whole All of Europe is gripped with this right well, now. Well, in the United Kingdom, it was over 100 degrees uh, yesterday, the past couple of days, and a road went on fire. You know the kind of thing we see in California, where the brush on the side of a road just goes up? Um, that was that happened just off the M25. How can that happen? I don't even understand I that. I mean, it only if, 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 if the ground is, is that dry, it, it, it doesn't take much. I mean, someone could have just chucked a cigarette or... Oh, okay. I mean, it can just go up. But it a, needs a catalyst. It, yeah, it needs a little something. But, okay. I mean, when it's that hot, it doesn't take much. Yeah, that's... So it was 104, I think, in England? Yeah. That's not normal and it's not good. And uh, Is air conditioning... Uh, this is a genuine question. No. Is it not normal there to the extent that it is here? It's not normal there to the extent it is here. I'm sure. I never n- knew that. N- newer office buildings, I would say yes, but generally no. Because it's not. They don't feel that it's necessary. Not necessary, no. Well, the times they are changing. Ah, uh, yeah. But I think getting air conditioning in may just be a part of a vicious cycle of energy consumption that leads us back to the point where things are going on fire. Um, I'm glad I avoided it. I got out only to to fly right back into it. Oh yeah, <laughs> avoided it. I literally chose to be here in this sweaty, sweaty moment. What a show we have for you! An here. amazing show. I'm really yeah. excited. I know it's it's transfers are hotting up. Preseason is beginning to to boil nicely. People are thinking about the start of the season. I am excited about this podcast, Andrew. Do you want to tell people first of all about my new segment? JJ has a segment later in this podcast. He saw something on the internet and. It has no place really anywhere in the show, but he needed to shoehorn it in somehow. So no, he there's said, several let's just, things. Let's just create a segment. Oh, you think there's only one thing? Well, I have one to contribute to it. Yeah, I have four things. But later in the program, I will debut a new segment called Things JJ Saw on the Internet. Although I suppose it can apply to both of us. Things we saw on the internet. But I think it's a fun, fresh, sexy new part of the show. And I think people really love it, rather than the mundane blather we usually go on with. Yeah, this will will break that up nicely. But that'll be later (laughs) in the program, so that's something to look forward to. I think you'll you'll enjoy it. JJ did find something that is actually quite, I find quite funny. Um, Greg Bearhalter was on Football Americas, our, our ESPN brethren. Had him on, said some interesting things, so we're going to break through, break down some of what went on uh, in that interview. A few things that caught our eye in MLS. The, the MLS one that I have that I'm going to share later, it, it's probably taken us too long to mention it, and I'm excited to finally do that. Um, obviously, the Women's European Championships continuing today. What a game between England oh. and Spain. Thrilling stuff. And preseason rolls on. So uh, it does, and a couple, couple thoughts from us on that later in the program. Yeah, the guys who tell you regularly don't, pay any attention to preseason are going to talk about preseason. Well, it's not the, it's not that it's a thing that shouldn't be paid attention to. I'm just saying that 
I, I don't think you can take results seriously. But don't ignore what's going on. Like, you know, pay attention to performances, the way teams are playing, things that you're seeing. Pay attention to it. I'm just saying, like, if when Liverpool lose 4-0 to United, it doesn't mean that United are now better than Liverpool. Like, that's all we're saying. Yeah. I think that's reasonable enough. But we start with the most confusing club in the world, and that is Barcelona. A few days ago, JJ, their summer of spending continued <laughs> as they acquired... Arguably the greatest striker, the greatest number nine that there is right now in Robert Lewandowski, who has officially left Bayern Munich. This was a long time coming. And both parted in, in, in you know, really, really amicable fashion. That's the important thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't... It, we'll get to that element of it as well. But um, Barcelona continue to make these high-profile signings. And with each one, you know, we, we scratch our head... But they, like, but they just keep getting bigger. It's like they're trying to play this game of can you top this with themselves while they're in the midst of this state that makes no sense for them to be spending the way that they're spending. It's, uh, it's frustrating a lot of people out there um, that Barcelona are doing this. I think the general neutral football fan can't understand it. And what they want Barcelona to do is just to come out like Michael Scott does in the office and declare bankruptcy. I... Declare bankruptcy! But that's not what they're doing. No. They've chosen to put their head in the sand and just say, everything's fine, everything's fine. Now, we should at least attempt to give a flavor of why they can do what they're doing. Rafinha, Lewandowski, Lewandowski, um, Inkesia possibly. You know, like how, how is this possible? And there haven't been that many outgoings either. So, or, and, and at least one major outgoing no, I mean, who's owed seventeen million dollars in back pay in in uh, in De Jong. So, how is all this happening? Now, Swiss Ramble did, as is his wont, a brilliant thread which goes deep into how Barcelona are structuring all that. I won't be reading Swiss Ramble out on the podcast because that's not that's not good audio. It's great to read. Sit down with a cup of tea and a biscuit and just dig into it. Mm. But uh, Ben Jacobs, CBS, he, he does a little uh, more kind of an overview, which I think is more helpful uh, than Swiss, Swiss Ramble from an audio standpoint. <laughs> um, his conclusion is the same as Swiss Ramble's. This is mortgaging the future. Yes. So lots of asking how Barca can spend heavily when 1.3 billion euros in debt. It's complicated and the legal financial rules are strict. But in essence, Barca hoped to sell 49.9% of its own marketing company and 25% of TV revenues over 25 years, some of which has already come in via 6th Street. Barca essentially surrendering future profits to bring in capital, brackets, then spend it now. This allows them to keep pace with Real and UCL rivals, but not an approach that can be taken season on season. That's why... That's why what and who they bring in now and how they clear the backlog is, vi- is, is vital. It's a bold approach and remains to be seen as sustainable. It partly relies on incoming talent restoring Barca to La Liga and UCL glory. Club used to be one of the rich elite when on-field success consistently achieved so it could work. But post-pandemic and with a high debt, it's a gamble. So they're basically saying, the future is now. We push everything in on now to get us back to where we were. Thus, the revenue streams open up from the Champions League and from everything else that comes with that. 
and then we rebuild that way. Rather than the other approach, which would be to be thrifty, to be based on your academy and the young players you have in and buy pieces cleverly. Get well, low-value targets. Don't go for Lewandowski. Maybe don't. That's, that is what is making everyone's head spin yeah. with all this. Is like Their financial situation is well-documented. Everyone's aware of it. Um, and so with that being the case, like the fact that they're still spending at all is a little bit head-scratching to people without having really sold anyone. Now, I do believe that'll be remedied. I, I think at some point Frankie De Jong will go. I think at some point Memphis Depay will go. But at this point, no one is. They're all still there. Um, so the fact that they're spending it all is, to some people, a little bit strange. But it's like, JJ, if I if I needed a car, but like in the midst of me needing a car, I couldn't pay my mortgage. Like yeah. finances, uh, like I was in a bad place, couldn't pay my mortgage. I need a car. Uh, let me go. Let me go out on the used market, see if I can find like a '95 Honda Accord. Right. But instead, I thought I can't pay my mortgage. I need a car. Eh. That Maserati looks good. Yeah, I'll take it. And it's a Maserati with a few miles on the clock and a little bit older, so it's more of a classic car. Almost. All right, either way. But like that's essentially what they're doing. Yeah. Like they're going out and they're buying up the most valuable properties that are out there on the transfer market, and and it makes all this that much more confusing to people. And I, you can't help but wonder, you know, how does this come to a head? Because they're behaving in a way that's almost like they know something we don't. Right. Like, like is there some sort of windfall of cash headed towards them in a couple of years that we're just all not aware well, of? Well, there's supposed to be is. Uh, there's supposed to be that windfall that you're talking about from Goldman Sachs. But again, this is selling the family jewels. Like, so many... Barcelona is going to be in the pocket of so many different interests right now. Or in the future. Yeah. That's... That's horrifying. That if you are an you know an old socio who's grown up with this club and you can say that's mine, and all of us own that, and the independence of Catalonia, and then to see it parcelled off to like vulture funds and Spotify and that is that's awful. It's really awful. It's a different look for them. Yeah, that's but, for sure. By the way, so they've bought. I'm going to change it for sure. a second. I'm going to be more kind of complimentary than you were. The Maserati's great. Great Italian car. What they've got is like a Bugatti Veyron. <laughs> but they've already got a, a Maserati in Aubameyang. How, the wages those two guys are going to be on alone. And, and how do they fit? How do they create that front three? Like, so, should we talk about that? I don't... You can. I have no idea. Well, so, I mean, because... Look, the, the financial situation for them is fascinating, but at a certain point, it's kind of like, okay, well, it is what it is. They've done this. Now let's actually talk about this team because it's a team, you know, that is, you know, the finances are fascinating. The team is fascinating because we're kind of only a year or so removed from thinking that they were about to enter this period of, I don't know, is mediocrity too strong? For whatever their standards are, it seemed like we were heading towards some period of of mediocrity. But you look at what they've done, we can we can mock it all we want in terms of how they've gone about it and what it might mean for their financial future. But in terms of the team that they're putting together, JJ, I mean, look, I had said just last week when it seemed like the Lewandowski thing was headed in this direction that he was going to go there, I said, tell you what, they make that move, you can start to convince me that they're Champions League contenders. Well, they've gone and done it now, and I'm not going to back off of that statement. I'm not asking you to back off, I'm just asking you... And, and I do think there's probably, there's not probably about it, they definitely have more of a structure than PSG have 
But look at PSG. Mm. You know, front-loading your team with these stars doesn't mean you go and win in Europe. It just doesn't. And But I think they're more than just a front. I mean, right now there's like six guys that they're going to try to have to fit into three, three Rafinha, available spots. Rafinha, Ansu Fati, uh, Aubameyang, Lewandowski. I mean, I also, you, we're asking a lot again of, uh, of Pedri. Pedri is going to have to Pedri, knit. Gavi. I mean, he's going to have to knit that midfield together. Kessie is go- he is going to be, to my mind, this is a step up to play for Barcelona sure. for Milan right now. Um, and I do, I do think, I do rate him. I do think he's a good footballer. Um, well, that's, just, that's the I, funny thing I, I about this is like, so they've made but, they've made a lot of these signings, but like there are certain reports that tell you, oh wait, there's more. Like, there's reports of Marcus Alonso and Cesar Espilicueta getting ready to come in. There, there's a report that if Frankie de Jong does go, you would think to yourself, okay, well, now at least they'll recoup some of the money. No, there's a report that if he leaves, they're going to turn right around and try to get Bernardo Silva from Manchester City. Where does Usman Dembele fit into this? <laughs> where does? I Sir- mean, look, it's good to have a deep squad if you want to win a lot of things, and that's in a World Cup year where guys are you know going to have right. a lot of mileage on, on the tires. So, um, you know, I get... I suppose I understand it from that respect. I don't know. I again, we're kind of making fun of them because of how I'm not making fun. I'm just no, I'm not in a bad way. Everybody is right now. What they're doing is is bonkers. But ha- like, but their team is in the end. When the dust settles, we're going to watch them play. And we're going to say, well, I don't know what it's going to look like in three years when the banks come calling. But for now, it's kind of fun. They're they're going to have to. I mean, they're trying to. We know they're actively trying to get rid of De Jong. We know that. We know they're trying to get rid of Dest as well because they think they can get significant funds uh, there. But there's so many other players you, you feel have to move on. This this is this is a well, risky strategy. A, what did they put in a 512 million euro release clause for Robert Lewandowski, which I don't envision anyone reaching that. They're pro- are they secretly begging someone to come calling and and pay that and 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 activate that release clause in his contract? Oh, I don't know. I wouldn't. I mean. <laughs> It, no one's going to, so it's a moot point. But um, pretty fascinating. Uh, I think they're really good. It's weird how they've done it. Ah, it's f- we'll see how they. You know, I, I do believe in this manager. I think that uh, you know, I think highly of, of Xavi from what we saw of him last season when he took over. And the younger players that are that have come through the system are, have pro- are truly gifted. Have proven themselves. So like, I think it's going to be fun. It feels like one of those '80s movies. Where both people look at each other and go, "This is crazy," but I think it's going to work. Yeah. And then you look back at me; it is going to work. And then the music plays, and it does work. Well, maybe until it doesn't. That, which is why, to me, it feels almost like Wolf of Wall Street. Like while this is going on, it's going to be a joy, and it's going to be fun as hell. The but bo- then, it, but at some point, it's going to end, and it's going to end horribly. <laughs> the board meeting where uh, where it's explained, the accountant explains it to him. So money is a fugazi. It's a whistle wazzle. <laughs> and then they start beating their chest. Oh, yeah, what a scene. It's such a great scene. But the one thing we know we're not getting is this scene. I declare bankruptcy! Won't hear that coming from that place. Not going to happen. <laughs> the other side of this, JJ, um, with Lewandowski, we got to talk about the, the Bayern Munich side of this too. Not just the Barcelona side. First off, um, uh, just to get this out of the way, look, they're losing one of the greatest players in their history. But I think they'll be okay. <laughs> I think so, too. Um, Mane, 
is in, you know, again, you can't find one guy to make up the, the tally of goals that Lewandowski would put in for you, but Mane's he, a good start. Speak of the devil, he just scored against uh, DC United. Oh, okay. Penalty in that friendly. Oh, well, there you go. Um, Matthias De Ligt has gone from Juventus to Bayern Munich. Yes. To help with the back line. To a, and I think that's going to suit him because he'll go into a team where it's it's closer to what he did at Ajax than what he ended up trying to do at Juve or what was the system that was imposed upon him at Juve. So that, I think that's a great move. Yeah. Also, too, you have to look at not only what Bayern have and have gained, you know, you look at their biggest rival, Borussia Dortmund, losing Erling Holland, uh, which will obviously affect them. And I, I guess along those lines, some horrible news that Sebastian Haller, who went to Dortmund essentially to be Erling Holland's replacement, um, is now out indefinitely. Uh, absolutely shocking. Um, and we wish him the very best with the tumor. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I think Byron will be fine. And I do think there's a huge amount of trust in, in Nagelsmann that he can find a formula to get. It's taking a lot of goals out of that team. A it is. A huge and amount of goals. You know what? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll reconvene in a few months as the seasons are getting going and we'll, we'll think, oh, maybe we were a little too dismissive of the situation sure, around Byron. Sure, but, I mean, if you want to be just totally realistic about it, that relationship had soured to a point where the things that Lewandowski was saying, he was burning, torching bridges. So let's talk about it that. It was like the M25, it was on fire. So I just said that he's one of the greatest players in the history of one of the greatest clubs. Yeah. Yet, let's say Barca and Bayern are matched up in a Champions League and you know he comes out to train and he's out on the pitch at the Allianz Arena before the match. I don't know what the reception will be. I don't think it will be overly positive. Maybe I'm misreading the situation, but let's just go through it. So, eight years there, won the league all eight of the seasons he was there. Won a Champions League, won three German Cups, won a Club World Cup. 344 goals in 375 matches. Um, I think over the course of his time there, most people would agree that he was the best player for Bayern Munich during that during this era. Okay. Um, but, like, did he... Did he click with certain segments of the fan base? So Rafa Honigstein kind of went in on this and and profiled it in The Athletic. Um, He said in talking about Lewandowski and what at times was sort of, for lack of a better term, a selfish mentality. Rafa writes um, about Lewandowski. He also blamed his teammates for missing out on on the leading goal scorer trophy on the last day of the season in 2016-17, finishing one behind Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, ironically now his teammate, who had replaced him as Dortmund's main man. Uh, Aubameyang scored twice in Dortmund's final day 4-3 win over Werder Bremen. Lewandowski contributed only an assist to a 4-1 defeat of Freiburg. Quote, I was not happy with the way the team helped me in the last game. I was angry and disappointed about the team's attitude, he said. Um, Rafa goes on to talk about how uh, Lewandowski made multiple attempts to move away from Bayern. Real Madrid, Chelsea were his landing spots of choice, but to no avail. Um, And then it's interesting because it appeared that he had changed. Later on, that Lewandowski was starting to take younger teammates under his wing, was starting to become more of a team guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it felt like Bayern's flirtations with Holland set Lewandowski on an even more destructive, selfish path than before. And, re- that, and that was that was it. That had burned. And, and Levin, we're saying Lewandowski was torching bridges. He probably believes that Bayern torched the bridge by doing what they did. What I read was that that flirtation, that contact between Salahamazic, who's effectively the director of football or the sporting director there 
and the board of Bayern Munich and Team Holland, as Jan Agafurtov calls them, mm-hmm. when he heard of that, and by the way, he was in his absolute pomp and he hears about Holland coming in, that was it. And that, that drove him over the edge. The Barcel or the Bayern Munich documentary, um, it hints at it. It doesn't give you a ton, but it does it, it's worth watching just for the, the structure of the club and how many ex players are involved in the club. But what's what's interesting about it is it does slightly hint at also that Lewandowski was upset and annoyed at the the lack of appreciation for what he was doing in the Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. And that he wasn't getting the the props or the credit outside of Germany that would put him up for the Ballon d'Or. Like he definitely should have won the Ballon d'Or in twenty twenty. I mean that that much we know. It's a crime the way that played out. Right, but the idea that 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 really got to him, that got to him, and he felt as if uh, again so, I, somewhere I read I, no, it's it's not a quote, but that he felt I have to be somewhere else and do what I'm doing to get that recognition. I think that's a fair point. It might be, yeah. Um, the way he went about it is, I don't know. But look, this is a guy who left fans who adored him at Dortmund to go to a direct rival. He wouldn't be the first, certainly won't be the last. Um, and so maybe burning bridges and, and leaving situations is he can get Time out. heals all wounds, right? This one, I think, will be an open sore for a while. We'll see. I guess what happens to Bayern in the future may have something to do with it. Like if they continue to be great, then it might make it may might make it easier to stomach his departure for people. Um, if they really struggle, maybe the bitterness will kind of crystallize. In there anything. are not that many fish in the tank in the Bundesliga right now. That makes me think it's it's in Europe where you where you right. you'll see what happens. Or yeah, uh, let's see. We mentioned Delict going from Juve to uh, to Bayern, sixty-seven million euros. By the way, yeah, um, significant too that Juve have made a move the other way, incoming. Uh, they picked up Syria defender of the season, uh, Dleisen Bremer from Crosstown Rivals Torino. Um, I watched some videos today of him versus Vlavic and, and a couple other premier strikers, and he looks really good. He looks really, really good. And he he feels like an old-school defender, makes a lot of blocks, cuts things out. Um, he's physically strong. He's not afraid of a duel. I think that's a good bit of business for Juve, who seem to be more practical in the way they're building a the squad now. Uh, and then one other one we wanted to mention, uh, I'm sure others have happened. It's hard to get to all of them. Um, but uh, Alexander Zinchenko going from Manchester City to Arsenal in a move that I really, really like. Who doesn't like this move? Uh, I don't know one that Man, I've seen. Man City fans, because I think they really like Zinchenko. It was seconds away from him being at Wolves two and a half, three years ago. That they, like the deal was done, and he didn't want to go. He told Guardiola, "I don't want to leave," and he was rewarded for staying around. I would say because he was a guy who could slot in at left back, he could slot in at midfield. He, like he's so versatile, and that's going to be hugely important for Arteta. First of all, he knows about what Arteta's style of management, his style of coaching is going to be. So it's an easy fit for him to slide into North London, I would think. And I hate saying it because I love Kieran Tierney. He's young enough that he can go on and have still a very fruitful and prosperous career. But his three seasons at Arsenal, he's not been dependable from an injury standpoint. Right. And Zinchenko can slot in, the, <laughs> slot in at left back. Now, I'm pretty sure watching his performances for the Ukraine 
for the Ukraine for mm-hmm. Ukraine in the I've heard I've heard both I know I feel weird though um, <laughs> you know seeing him play in midfield for Ukraine exclusively pretty much yeah but how good did he look as yeah. well now pr- almost every Premier League mid- midfield is going to be better than Scotland's and is going to be better than than the Welsh midfield but but still though he looks very comfortable in, in a multitude of roles and that 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 makes him like a Swiss army knife for uh, for Arteta yeah now look with Manchester City it was always hard for him to break through fully and be a first team player he kind of had to rely on injuries or, or drop in form of somebody else to but get I a think, chance I but... think he got plenty of game considering he was on his way out well look what happened in the final day of the season when they were up against it and you know, they turned to him. He came on at the half and was excellent in the second half, set up Rodri's goal. Uh, I, I saw the stat. Um, he had a ch- roughly a chance and a half created per 90 minutes over the course of last season. That's not bad for a guy you know, yep. playing in defense. Uh, 90% passing accuracy. Obviously, that's going to be a little bit weighted in a player's favor who's playing in a Guardiola system. Um but still, these are things that you know Arsenal will will value. And how about this? I saw this on Sky Sports. JJ um, asked in a recent YouTube interview about the City squad. Fellow fullback Kyle Walker put Zinchenko in his top three most talented teammates with the ball, ahead of De Bruyne, Phil Foden, and Jao Cancelo. Uh, the quote was, "My top three are Zinchenko, Riyad Mahrez, and Bernardo Silva." Said Walker. Two touches, head tennis, so good. Wow. And. I think that was evidence in those internationals at the end of the season that we saw him play in as well. I uh, wanted to mention uh, Kaladu Koulibaly mm-hmm. moving to Chelsea. Uh, that's been confirmed since the last podcast went out. And this is a move I like. It's a move I would have loved four years ago. And it makes me think about Napoli and that like that really good Napoli team, you know, with Insigne and like th- those guys who played under Sarri. I'm surprised, like this team, the team's slowly broken up over the years, but I'm surprised how long it's taken and that Koulibaly didn't move move much quicker or much sooner from, from Napoli. And I'm, I wonder, I don't think it's too late, but uh, I'm curious to see no, how. No, I don't, I don't think it's, it's Yeah, I, I, I don't have that feeling about it. It's going to be a different type of defending though, I think in the Premier League. I mean, look, he's 31. Yeah. Um, Chelsea had to act having lost Rudiger. Um, and it, you know, who was, who was excellent for them, probably a player they didn't want to lose, but he seemed motivated to go. Um, and so it's already a position on the field where, you know, Chelsea probably needed an upgrade. And Christensen is gone as well. Right. So, and depending on what you read, other defenders, uh, versatile defenders, Alonso, Espilicueta may be on their way out. Like we just said to Barcelona, uh, I'll believe it when I see it, but. I've seen a lot already that needs to be believed this offseason, so who's to say that's not realistic as well. Uh, so you're right. I mean, losing Rudiger, gaining Koulibaly, upgrade or downgrade? Uh, downgrade. I think so too. I think. Well, I'm not saying Koulibaly can't be good. I was, no, I was I wrong. Agree. I was wrong about, um, about Silva when he came in at centre-back. I thought he was too old, and I think... He largely proved me wrong. I think he's been pretty good when he's been fit for Chelsea. So, uh, one yeah, other... but wasn't it? I mean, we talked. His own wife basically said that everyone needs to temper their expectations. I mean, what was it she said? For goodness' sakes, he's thirty-seven years old or something. So, yeah, <laughs> that's that's true. Again, so like, I'm sure he loved hearing that from, <laughs> from his missus. Yeah. Um, uh, another one I wanted to mention, Andrew, uh, Chris Richards to undergo medical after Crystal Palace agree, and I think this is a steal. Ten million euro fee. 
with Bayern Munich for the US eminent defender. That's what uh, Dominic, Dominic Fifield in the Athletic is saying. I think that's, I think that works brilliantly for Crystal Palace. I think it'll work great for Chris Richards. I see him starting all the time there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a really good move. I'll tell you what. Let's use that. Let's go ahead. We'll take a break because Chris Richards, national team manager, has a thought on it as well. When we come back, we'll take a, uh, we'll get those thoughts. We'll take a trip down the Bear Halter Highway. And uh, Bear Halter, uh, th- thoughts on a lot of things. Like we said, he was on Football Americas and uh, said some interesting stuff that we, we thought was valuable and worth going through. So we'll do that next. More Caught Offside still to come. Back now on Caught Offside. JJ, we were just talking about Chelsea a moment ago. Um, I was at a park near me over the weekend. Yeah. Saw something that I love, a young person. If I had to ballpark it, I'd say, I don't know, probably 10 or 11, 12, something, something like that, year old kid. Uh, Pulisic jersey. Great. I think it's great. Um, but he was full kit W. With a hat, too. He had Chelsea shorts, matching shirt. But he's 10 or 11, though. So that was going to be my question to you. Is there an an age where full kit W is appropriate until you hit that age, and then it's no longer appropriate? You can't be a full kit W after 14. Can't do it. Okay. You can't. You're saying you can you can go full kit W, but on your 14th I mean, birthday, 13, you, got, you have to retire 13, the shorts. 13 is pushing it. Yeah, you got to retire. This oh, kid was not 13. He was probably, I'll probably say 10 years old. I was full kit W till till I was 10, 11, I would say. I had a 1990 full Ireland goalkeeper kit. Oh, even better. Yeah, with the gloves. Oh. That's huge. That's full but kit like, W. But when would you wear the, like, if it was cold out? Just... Regularly, <laughs> pretty much all the time. But it was so cool. It was the the Adidas kit. Um, yeah, keep and, telling yourself that it was cool. And it had the pads. It's cool when you're. It's fine when you're younger. But uh, a friend shared with me. He's a he's a Man City fan. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob. He did, he won't mind. <laughs> me, a lot of Robs out there. Yeah. Uh, Rob Rossicone. Oh, well, there not uh, as many as them. <laughs> Uh, and he he's like a city city fanatic um, to the point of delusion, um, but uh, he's he will regularly wear the full kit. I, I won't say regularly, actually, it, it, but he has. He's for a man of of his age, he's been FKW a lot. It's not as just, bad as the Real Madrid guy I mentioned, though. It's tough to wear uh. shorts for me that don't have pockets. Like that that's really but You're not going to you know it's not like you're going to a bar mitzvah full kit WR you know it's it But I got to full- say if the what the real thing holding me back from full kit W is not not the look or the embarrassment it's that it doesn't the shorts don't usually have pockets A much more frightening picture out of the preseason friendlies uh in the one in Bangkok between Liverpool and Manchester United a supporter had the new Manchester United jersey on like the outfield jersey to add a layer of bizarreness okay. and A. Becker on the back of it. I mean, that must have been deliberate. Like that's, that, You're just trying to make yourself into an internet sensation with something like that. Bearhalter. Greg. He was a little bit of an internet sensation the other day. A lot of people live tweeting what yeah, was I, the conversation and what was being said. Yeah, I mean, some of it was good. Some of it was classic Greg saying a lot and saying nothing. A lot of talk about learning. So How we learned. Not Don't get into specifics. We learned 
This was a learning experience, a progression each window. All right. So I took, like you know I, a lot I, of broad speak. I took some notes. So uh, did, as did I. Basically, just stop me or add anything at any point as I kind of go through some of the bullet points that I have here. Um, expectations for the World Cup. Um, his mentality about it is basically you can tell what's being drilled into the team's head. They're basically viewing it as two tournaments within one tournament. Right. Uh, he talks about the the expectation is wanting to get through the group stage. He said the group stage of the World Cup is a tournament. Then if they do that, they enter the second tournament, which is a knockout tournament. Uh, and his basic message that was repeated a few times was, if we get through the group, get to the knockout tournament, anything can happen in a knockout format. I have no qualms with that. That would be the way most managers should approach it. Yeah. I think it's solid. But it wasn't clear, though, what, I guess, the exact expectation is. And by the way... I don't necessarily expect Greg Bearhalter to tell all of us what the expectation is. That I don't know if that's in the best interest of his job security uh, to go out and publicly say that. Um, but but at, at bare minimum, though, if if your takeaway was getting out of the group, um, and I know we talked about this a little bit a couple months ago when we kind of did an early World Cup preview, but is that is that an appropriate bar? What getting out the group? Yeah. Yes. But I'm saying should they should they think. No, you Should don't. They set their sights higher than that. Not I'm, if not, I'm not saying he needs to be the one to tell us that. I'm just saying between fans talking about the team, if they get out of the group and lose in the round of 16 again, and remember, we went through some of the teams that their potential opponent would be from Group A, which is not the most difficult group in this tournament. Still difficult. Senegal, Qatar, uh, the Dutch. There's some tough possibilities in there, but it's but it's not necessarily the Brazils and the Frances and, right. and, and Spain and But Germany. what are you talking about here? Our expectations are his. Is- Ours. I'm saying that's what he said. Is that is that in line with how most fans feel? Get out of the group. I kind of, as a fan, I, I I would I would take the team approach too. Get out the group, and then literally anything can happen. If they get out of the group, I'm just I'll I'll say it now. Expectations will go through the roof, and if they lose in the round of 16, it'll be seen as a disappointment. If they get out of the group and lose in the round of 16 to Qatar or Senegal, I think there's going to be some unhappy fans here. If they lose to Qatar... And I, by the way, Senegal was my dark horse. If they lose to Qatar, we will be in one of those debt spiral conversations about what, when will soccer catch on in the US, and I will be not happy. Uh, he was asked about World Cup 26 and if he wants the job then. Uh, he talked about, he said uh, he's enjoyed working with this group, he's going to talk with his family, uh, but he did make a point of saying coaching the US at home in a World Cup would be a huge opportunity. Oh my God, I mean... He, he, I, I think... <laughs> Barring an opportunity coming his way, like if the U.S. really overperforms and is kind of the talk of the tournament at this World Cup, and then you know who knows what sort of opportunities can spawn off of that, um, then I guess he would reassess. But short of that, let's say just like it's a normal World Cup, I don't, I can't envision him wanting to leave this. Not a chance. Not a hope. If this World Cup goes okay, okay enough that he's going to be the guy to go to twenty twenty six. Especially when we won't have to qualify. Of course he's going to be there. 100% with bells on. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so as well. Um, but he did talk about one thing that was interesting um, that I wonder how much it affects this. You know, they spoke a little bit about um, American coaches in Europe, in England, Jesse Marsh, things like that. And you know, he did kind of try to dispel the notion that, look, what Jesse Marsh does shouldn't have any bearing on Greg Bearhalter's future job opportunities. That, like, he, Greg Bearhalter's point was basically like, look, if a Spanish coach has a failure of a season, it's not used as an indictment on all Spanish coaches. Why is that the case, it seems, for American coaches? 
and I don't know. I, I think, like, I, I do think that exists. Oh, like, yeah. If Jesse Marsh fails, it will be an indictment on American coaches instead of just being an indictment on Jesse Marsh. Because fundamentally, a lot of Europe, and certainly a lot of fans, do not believe that people in the United States understand or have a feel for are in sync with with the game of soccer. That, that's just a fact. Is that a thing that... I mean, this is a podcast unto itself, but, like, can the U.S. honestly, like, ever lose that reputation? Not as long as you have that accent. Yeah. Not likely. That's a shame. Should I start talking with a different accent? Would that help me personally I've heard in, your, this, in this field? I've heard your accents. Like people inside football who work regularly with, with U.S. coaches don't have that hang-up about U.S. coaches. It's the reply guy. <laughs> when I tweet something from the show account that doesn't have my, you know, there's no, there's no indication of where I've come from, you'll get, I remember tweeting about PSG. Straight away into the reply, some guy, stick to baseball, mm. you know? That's just it's a it's a prejudice that exists. Like the U, I believe the U.S. could win this World Cup. I don't think it would make a lick of difference in terms of perception. Mm. Again, who are you talking about? Look how do- I, look. I mean, look how dominant the U.S. women have been. Yeah. For, I mean, we're going on now multiple. Gen- I was going to say a generation. It's been a couple generations. Has it in any way affected the perception of whether or not Americans know soccer? From people in, uh, abroad, yeah, and don't forget, there's uh, there's a, masking a lot of things is a hatred of the country. You know, <laughs> there are so many people outside of this country who just don't like us, mm-hmm. and their rationale will bleed into that. That sorry, that thought will bleed into their rationale about about soccer. That it's not our game, and we don't know what we're talking about. It's not right. It's oh, not right. Whatever. Like I, I honestly, these are hang-ups when you just got to move on from. Just go and, but I'm, go but and I'm beat, American though. Go and beat everyone. I have to Let's live with these things. Beat. You have the accent. No, I go back and I have to say the same questions. Oh, hey, soccer's getting big now in the United States. I'm like, it's massive already. It's been massive for years. Um, Bearhalter talked about facing England. Said they uh, said they've been studying their games. He did say they're vulnerable in some ways. But they're a billion-dollar squad. He said we got to exploit their weaknesses. Lately, we've seen some uncertainty with their squad. Yeah, I mean— He wouldn't necessarily go—I I didn't hear him go really deeper on what the vulnerabilities were. He's not going to. Right. Uh, I mean, but, again, that, that, that's— So let me ask you. What their vulnerabilities are? Yeah. I mean, this is a team that's come out of the last tournament and instead of kicking on has found itself in some kind of identity crisis. It's, they're vulnerable at centre-back. Vun- they're, they're not sure of their full-back positions. They can't find— a role for their most creative players. Um, the manager is stricken by a conservatism, but... But wins a lot. But wins a lot. And we have to see, and we're really not going to get an answer to this until the tournament, because there are no real significant games. But we have to see whether the Nations League, their kind of dreadful uh, games at the end of the Nations League were a hangover from guys who were absolutely tired from a, from a very busy Premier League season, which they complained about in the squad there were huge complaints about the fact that they had to play these games whether that was a hangover of that or whether it's an actual tactical and squad decline we don't know that yet yeah uh you mentioned chris richards before greg said he loved it loved the idea of him going to crystal well, palace. i mean greg berhalter played at palace didn't he yeah so he's gonna love that but just but on a, that aside though that I, aside, I, I don't think that was necessarily his no, reason no, for no, no. the move no but it's a great move 
Like it, it really is. is. It's a club. I mean, I've I've been wrong so far about Patrick Vieira, completely wrong. Yeah, it's, um, it's been a bad look for you. Sure. Okay, I'll take that bad look. Uh, and I I think there's a there's a a youth and a freshness to that team, and he he fits right in with that. And I I just want to see him play consistently because whenever I have seen him play, often in a fullback position or coming on as a sub, he's he's been excellent. Uh, and then the one that kind of turned into the money quote here was Greg Berhalter talking about John Brooks because there is still a fascination in this country with John Brooks. This is a guy who a year ago was the first, second, I or like third name answer. on the team sheet. Uh, Berhalter said, I called Brooks before the November camp and I said, John, listen, here are some things that are lacking in your game that I don't see fit our game model that we need to address. Uh, when asked by Hercules Gomez what aspects of Brooks's game concerned him, Bearhalter referred to the fact that the Wolf's, um, that Wolfsburg, Brooks's club at the time, didn't employ a similar system to the U.S. Bearhalter said, "We want to play with a very high line, right? So ideally, if he went to a team that plays with a high line, and we can see that every week, how he's dealing with space behind him, it would really help us get a picture of what he can do for our team. So he hadn't been doing that with Wolfsburg. But but he went. He goes on in the court. Uh-huh. That that to me is fine. I like." I'm not sure that Wolfsburg, certainly under previous coaches, always played with the, you know, a, a, a line that wasn't very high. I think they have played with a high line, not right, not recently, but certainly in the past. Um, but it's not that. Mm. What he what he went on to say, I it was, I think it was Herc. Said. He listed the games that he struggled in Switzerland. And I can't remember what the other game was. And he said, did you see things in those two games? Well, Brooks struggled early in qualifying, too, against Canada. He did, yeah. Uh, against, was it um, El Salvador but the, but or I, Honduras? I was saying I was concerned about him as far back as the Gold Cup in, in 21, in the Gold Cup semifinal, or the Nations League semifinal against Honduras, I thought. I don't... People, people thought he had a great game, and I'm watching, I'm thinking, I do not want my centre-back doing that. But that, that that's aside. Um, and he said... In those games, he didn't like what he was seeing from him. Mm-hmm. Like, specifically those games. And, and he was asked by Herc, so those those friendly games influence your decision to leave him out of the squads? And Bearhalter said, yep. That's that's fine for me. Like, if, 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 those defender, if a defender or a player isn't doing what you want them to do, I mean, that makes, there's, I have no issue with that. Again, the stats, which you talked about a couple of months ago, suggest that Brooks is actually playing better than we are giving him credit for domestically at least. But there are cases, especially in international football, where for a manager, they're just like, nah, this is not what I want. The real question for me is when it comes to booking tickets on the plane and putting names down on the plane, does he bring him? Does he leave all that experience behind? Right now, I don't, he's not on the plane. That to me. Right now, he's not. I don't. It's hard for me to envision... And he did say, oh, well, I wanted to see Cameron Carter-Vickers. Did he see anything from Cameron Carter-Vickers in, in those cameos to suggest that he's ahead of, of Brooks? I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, my gut would be to say probably not. Um, I think I it's a lot of experience to leave behind, and in the event of an injury, look 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 down at the depth. I... I all right. Well, yeah. If we start having, if injuries become a factor, then we'll, they will. We'll, we'll, I guarantee you, they I, will. Well, I mean, they already are at that position yeah. with Miles Robinson. I, th- I think one of the things that was interesting to people with Bear Halter's response was that, well, if you look at the guys that Greg trusts right now, Zimmerman and Aaron Long, um, do they play for MLS teams that generally use a high line? I don't think so. Mm. Um, 
Now, but the other difference is, okay, but when they've been with the U.S. and been put in some of those positions, they have played well. We saw John Brooks in positions playing for the U.S. where he was not. Uh, so maybe those players, Zimmerman, Long, have in some ways earned Bearhalter's trust. Yeah, and I think positionally they've been better for him. Like Brooks is a habit. This is going to be a thing Brooks. all the way up through team selection. Yeah. This is like we can. This is this is it. Like we've identified what is going to be the lightning rod topic for this team. I it's do, clear as day. I do. I do think I liked his answer on Brooks. Though he was honest. He said he's had conversations with him, and he said the things he does for Wolfsburg, he doesn't like him to do for the U.S. men's national team, and he wanted to look at other players. In his stead. Well, we'll see where John Brooks winds up. Uh, Fenerbahce, I think, has been rumored for where he could be playing next season. We'll see. And we'll see if he plays to a level where he gives himself the chance to get back into Bearhalter's good graces. If he really wants to be on the World Cup team, he has to go to a team that plays with a high line. I took that from the interview. <laughs> and I mean, that's not, that's going to narrow some choices here. But if that's not his strong suit, does he want to put himself in that position? Correct. Maybe he thinks, you know what, maybe my chances with the national team have, have gone by the wayside and I need to do what's best for my career now. I've never I, felt I I've never felt the, uh, the high line thing because, as Herc mentioned in the pod, he is a guy who's a decent passer of the ball. He's, he's a very good passer. Yeah, so he's good that, he, you know, if you're playing a high line, a guy that can step forward a little bit and initiate something. So that's good. What I, my problem with him is, like, he's a bit of a PlayStation footballer. We've seen it in the Champions League against Lille last season in the group stage where he'll just shoot out... Instead of holding his position, he'll shoot out from centre back and get himself in all kinds of trouble. That's my problem with him. Whenever I've seen him play for a Wolfsburg, yeah. anything else from Greg that you wanted to mention? Yeah, just quick one on the number nine, which I think is broadly in line with our hunch on the podcast. He said uh, one criteria is the ability to score goals at this level, international level. May mix it up depending on opposition. So he said he might go for a physical presence. You know, it might not be the quick, nippy little forward. It might be someone like P. Falk. He said Josh Sargent can play as a physical centre forward. I'm not sure that I've seen enough of that. And, uh, of course, he mes- mentioned, yes, he's others. Interesting to me. He will not make himself uh, a hostage to fortune. Um, he said he's not getting hum- hung up on the spine. Like, we have to have four guys that go from centre-back midfield to forward line. Like, goalkeeper centre-back mid- He's not hung up on that. He says he's not. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he's trying to defuse fans from being because they sure as hell are. Um, but I thought that was interesting. I, I think he's much more flexible than that. And he won't make himself a hostage to fortune by saying things five months out. No. Uh, and finally, no one way to solve the goalkeeping situation. No absolute certainties in what's happening. No clear number one in his mind. I don't believe that. I think Zach Steffen is his clear number one in his I mind. I don't know. Uh, well, just based know. on the way... Turner had a brilliant 21 and the first opportunity he could get, he had Stefan back in the site. Now that may have changed. This guy seems like a fairly flexible, open-minded coach. So that 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 calculation may have changed in his mind. Stefan's um, gone to Burrow now, by the way. Stefan uh, has. He's signed for Burrow. They did, it's an... Uh, uh, what is it? It's um, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Little. It was pretty clever what they did, I thought. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, his intro video is what we're talking about. Yeah, on uh, you can see it on Middlesbrough.com or wherever. Um, on Twitter, I think Middlesbrough Twitter. Yeah, yeah. What am I talking about? <laughs> uh, no clear number one in his mind. I'm not. I'm not so sure about that. But he did say, he did say that uh, in conversations he's had with other people, including our own Casey Keller, that he he doesn't believe goalkeepers have to start every game. I fundamentally disagree with that. 
What will be the bigger controversy between now and the start of the World Cup? Who's the number one keeper or John Brooks being on the plane? Keeper. I think because I'm gonna say, a lot. I'm going to say Brooks. I, I feel like a lot of people have moved on from. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm yeah, right. It's going to be very interesting. But good stuff from uh, from Sebastian and Herc with um, with Greg Barrow. They got as much out of uh, out of uh, Greg as as I guess he can. I enjoyed it. Good stuff. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's take another break. We'll come back. A couple MLS things. Women's uh, European Championships over in UEFA. Uh, a little preseason soccer stuff. And then things that JJ saw on the internet. You've well. been waiting for it. I can't wait for it. You've made a jingle. A little one. Oh, it's something. That's all right. something. All right. Stay tuned for all that and more. Oh, back again. Hey there. Didn't see you there. Oh, uh, my God. <laughs> JJ, on our so on our last podcast, I noticed I noticed it myself as it was happening, but I guess it kind of I don't know I sort of got used to it and forgot about it. But I, some people I saw on Twitter on Reddit talking about you, yeah, uh, really speaking softly, probably yeah. the softest we've ever heard you trying to turn you all on. Well, so the questions the questions were that I think the people deserve answering. <clears throat> was it because a uh, you were trying to not wake people up in the house where you're doing it. B, still fighting the effects of COVID. Or C, uh, with the time difference there, I believe it was about one in the morning and you were just exhausted. Which was it, which one of those was it? So it, w- it was a combination of all. Oh. Yeah. So the first thing to know- D, all of the above. So I wasn't staying at my parents' place. We had a Airbnb at a farmhouse down the road. So literally just down the road in the same neighborhood as, as my parents. But their internet was not- up to the levels required. So okay. I went to my parents' house, plugged the Ethernet cable into the box. But it was like 1, it was like 12.30. Mm-hmm. So I've my two nieces w- were asleep upstairs. I'm like, I'm not waking them. There's no chance. The second thing was, though... You didn't, why didn't you make a blanket for it like I did? Oh, I, 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 I piled up the blankets in, in the front room. Oh, okay. Um, I got into the room as far away from them as possible. Uh, as, as their rooms would be and put up the blankets. They were upstairs. Okay. And so I probably could have talked a bit louder, but you know, I mean, you got to show respect. It was, it was very NPR stuff. From oh, you. Which you love. You love that sound. <laughs> well, I mean, and look, if they do one You're thing well, to it's, NPR. It's this is all things considered with Andrew Gunling. Tonight, we talk about Noam Chomsky's classic <laughs> book. Uh, no. So it was, um, so I'm downstairs. That was one. I have noticed that my, my, my voice has been stretched the sore throat that I had from from COVID did stretch it a little bit, hmm. so that was definitely part of it. And and the other part of it was what was the third? Oh, I was yeah. I you were tired. Listen, we take no days off, no weeks off on this podcast. Literally never. So not one. The night I had COVID, uh, that the symptoms came on, I went upstairs absolutely shivering at two thirty in the morning after recording the podcast. So, I, I worth look. it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't, you know, again, I always say this. It's not going down a mine, but I never want to hear that we don't put in the hard yards for you guys. Do people say that? We oh. get a lot of criticisms. That would, most of them, my my skin has thickened over the years. That would still be one that would affect me. If somebody's, if somebody were to accuse us of not working hard enough, I guess, that that one would bug See, me. I, we were accused, I think, a couple of months ago of, of not doing, in a week where we'd done like four podcasts, of not covering some something that we just simply couldn't do because our schedules didn't allow us to do it. And I freaked out. Right, right, right. I it was after the out. World Cup draw. Oh, um, it was. The and World Cup draw happened at like two or so, and my job starts and is kind of immovable. Yeah. 
Um, and some guy got on and and and, and was really mad at called us. us a joke or something. Yeah. I mean, like that 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 stuff really gets to me. I can't tell you how many times I've been on the D train from the Upper West Side at God knows what hour, and with all the craziness that happens on a D train, and and think I hope people appreciate that. Wow. I'm, Nah, that that sounds wrong. Actually, I enjoy this too much. I would go yeah, on a million so D trains late at night for you guys. Wow, that's even that, what a sweet sweet man he is. Uh, the right, sweetness uh, will continue in this segment that you're about to talk about here, which is caught my eye. Caught my eye on caught offside. I should really make a jingle for this. Sponsored by uh, Specsavers. What I don't know. What's... Specsavers is glasses. Not familiar. Caught my eye. What, what would that be? Warby Parker? All right. No. Have we got a sponsor? No. Is that a serious question? Uh, caught my eye, JJ. A few things that have caught my eye around the world. Let's start here. Major League Soccer. Um, here's what's caught my eye in MLS. We've spent some time talking about these massive acquisitions that have gone down. Bale, Chiellini, uh, Bernadeschi has gone official at Toronto FC. You can go back to Insigne at Toronto FC. Yeah. Um, but it's it's one that flew under the radar. A player who came from the Premier League over to MLS. Cucho Hernandez. He was a nice player at Watford. Bit of a role player. Kind of would come in, provide maybe a little bit of a, an offensive spark, but not like a sure thing starter. I think, would he have 25 appearances last season? Although he was on my fantasy team for a period of time. Hmm. I kind of missed that wave where he had like a few goals, but it doesn't hmm. matter. Regrets. Regrets. But then he made the move to Columbus, uh, and it has been just like an, ex- an immediate explosion of... Um, f- for this guy, um, four goals in three matches. Two of those, and two of those matches, he came on as a sub. During the stretch, also Lucas Zellerian and him have clicked five assists and a goal for Zellerian in that stretch. Columbus are now unbeaten in their last eight, but their season—it's kind of like this turnaround. It had started before Cucho got there, but he's kind of taken it to new heights, um, and it's—he's been a joy to watch so far for them scored against Cincinnati in their rivalry match and uh you wonder now I mean I've you've already started to see I think Taylor Twelman tweeted uh during the since I think it was during the Cincinnati game that it was basically shades of Joseph Martinez when Martinez first burst on the scene with Atlanta United FC I mean look that's for what Martinez has done in this league that's really high praise and we'll have to see Cucho do it for a more extended period of time but he's still a young player I think he's what only 23 years old uh and the way he's taken to it immediately, right out of the gate, it's been really, really impressive. And so Columbus Crew, they've got to be thrilled with what they've got here. While a lot of other teams were spending bigger money on higher-profile players, um, you know, this guy was a big deal and, and cost a lot as well. But he was not the name brand that some others were, and it, it's been brilliant so far. Uh, my call. Oh, by the oh, wait, I'm sorry. One other thing, I meant to tell you this specifically. His nickname, Cucho. Yeah. Did a little bit of Wikipedia research here. Good. Um, I thought you would enjoy it. Apparently, when he was little, his father would shave his head, and uh-huh. people thought that he looked like Esteban Cambiaso, whose uh-huh. I guess nickname was Cucha, ah, uh-huh. um, or Cuchu, and uh, so that was where the nickname started. Oh, what a player, Cambiaso! He was your player. Th- he was the one, right? When Leicester stayed yeah. up, I gave him Player of the Season um, because I, wa- I I was just the other options were too obvious, and you got mad at me. So. I mean, it was one of the ultimate. 
I'm smarter than everyone moments from you. No. Uh, he literally kept them up. And the yeah. following season. Look what, how it turned what, out. Yeah, they just won the Premier League. Oh, yeah, okay. he left. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. left the club and they went on and yeah. won the Premier League. Kept them so, up. Yeah, how important Kept was them he? up at the end of the season with some unbelievable performances midfield, but you wouldn't appreciate them because <laughs> you... No, I'm, I'm a little dense when it comes to seeing those things. Can you let me do my one now and stop I thought the Cambiasso thing was important. Yeah, it's great. Uh, caught my eye from MLS for me was Tati Castellanos, winner uh, versus the Red Bulls in the Hudson River Derby on Sunday. Brilliant ball from Rodriguez. Like, like a really great ball. But the outside of the boot stretching finish from Castellanos. Going to miss this guy in the league because we believe he is... Um, that was probably his last action, and he's on his way from the New York branch of City Football Group to the Spanish office at Girona. So, a really—that's a shame. Yeah, honestly. What about like when you've seen the rumors that you know Villa were in for him, Leeds were in for him, and then he's, he's going to obviously La Liga is a good league, but going to Girona, which is—I well, just mean it's a shame that he's leaving. Oh, it is a shame that he's leaving, but it's—it's it's a shame he's not going to like a proper a proper club, not another outpost of this big big uh, conglomerates just disappointing like I would at least love to have seen him rocked up to a team where he can be like I don't know just a better team it's really. a tough this is a tough blow for NYCFC obviously but I just mean it in the sense of they're on top of the world you know manager this player lead them to this title last season you think maybe they're headed for a kind of an extended run and maybe who knows maybe they will be but it's going to be difficult having lost Dyla, now losing presumably Castellanos. Maybe they can recall him, you know, at some point. I'm just keep him. Well, I don't envision that happening. I think he would go to Girona and play, do well, and then be sold on to someone else. For yeah, a big fee. I think no. I think this is if this happens. I think this is goodbye. Um, and look, this is I guess the natural order of things. Um, but if you're an NYCFC fan, it's it's a tough pill to swallow. Um, but. That's how it goes. If I'm him, I'm staying in New York for a little bit longer and then get a move out completely from CFG to a big club. That's what I'd do, but there we are. Uh, let's see. Give me something, JJ, that caught your eye at the Women's European Championships. I mean, obviously, I it's think... It's just England versus Spain. talk about what happened today. That, yeah. en- that entire game was... It was so enthralling. Spain. <laughs> when you consider what England did to teams, Norway notably, and Northern Ireland in the group stages... The way Spain handled them for 75%, 80%, long more than that, 90% of this game, the way they toyed with them, tortured them, kept the ball, moved the ball, it was, it's unbelievable that England are going through in this game. And well they know it. Um, a brilliant goal from Stanway, although I'm question marks about the um, Spanish goalkeeper. Here, on uh, you want to hear what it sounded like? Yeah, sure. Ian Dark on the call. It's on England again. Stanway! What a goal! Georgia Stanway thumps it in the back of the net and England can smell glory. What a feeling it must be to score a goal like that in a situation yeah, like that. Yeah, to- the adrenaline rush. Toon's equaliser was just, I mean, it was so against the run of play. This was going one way. England were going out, Spain were going through. Um, they worked a, you know, a decent cross to the back post, a header down, Toon arrives in almost in Lampardian style, getting onto something in the box and scoring, and and Spain kind of collapsed a little bit after that. But it was, I mean, there was times when, who was it that came on? Oh, Del, Del Castillo came on and was running at um, 
at Rachel Daly and just turned her. There's one moment where she just turned her inside out, like broke her ankles. It was, it was one of those. Remember who was it that um, Messi uh, went around against? It was against Bayern Munich. Who was the defender? Was it? Oh, it was Boateng. Was Bo- it Boateng? What? Mm, I don't know if it was Boateng. Alaba. Boateng, I think it was. It was Boateng. And he spun him into a knot. And people made this meme where the ground opens up yeah. and he's falling through time and space. I mean, that's what Spain were doing to the English defence at times. Uh, it's a travesty. <laughs> All right. A travesty. But that's football. There's no deserving in football. You don't deserve anything. You just get whatever you get at the end of the whistle. That's, that, it, that's just the game. Because if there was deserving in football, Spain would be through. And, uh, and England go on... Um, yeah, so England go on. I guess yeah. that's all you I can right? say about it. You need consoling. No, I mean, English failure in a in a in a summer tournament is it's it's part of it's part of what I want in my life. It's it was what I've grown up with. So this was a bit. Hopefully, this is just a a, a little bump in the road. This toward, is an ugly side of you. It's not. It's not ugly. Do you understand rivalries? Uh, no, explain right. them to me. Oh, okay, right. Uh, tomorrow, by the way, uh, Germany and Austria. Um, Austria will make it difficult, but the Germans should should get through that. Sweden, Belgium on Friday. Sweden need a, a big performance. They need to lift it a bit. There's they've been a little bit, little bit turgid. France and the Netherlands on Saturday. That one, I, I don't know. That's that's a tough one. I think the Netherlands should prevail, but narrowly. Something that uh, has caught our eye in preseason. Uh, I'm going to go here, JJ. We, I guess this kind of serves as a, a nice bookend for the podcast. We started with Barcelona. I'm going to mention them here. They're in the U.S. They faced uh, Inter-Miami yesterday. Uh, this was a, I mean, this was a true thumping. Like I said, it's don't read too deeply into these things. But the way Miami were talking about this game, it seemed like they were valuing it. They wanted to put up a good, did a not, good showing. Didn't act like that. One shot, zero on target. 6-0. Handled. 6-0. Um and, and encouraging, too, if you look at Barcelona's list of goal scorers, Aubameyang, Rafinha, Ansu Fati, Gavi, Memphis, Usman Dembele, like guys that you want to see performing well. Um, but in particular, it was Memphis's goal where it was one of those – I didn't watch the game live, so I, I caught up on it on Twitter mm. when I saw highlights posted. It was one of those where I'm sitting there kind of with my computer. Okay, oh, Rafinha, that's a nice one. That, his goal was beautiful, by the way, but – it was one of those where I audibly gasped at the way Memphis's goal played out. Where he, I mean, you talk about the ground opening up between somebody, underneath somebody after being shook. I mean, what Memphis does to Damian Lowe, he, I mean, he sends him from Miami to like to like West Palm. Like he's he's out of the zip code. If you haven't seen it, I don't really know. I don't really have the words to describe the way Memphis just takes him out of the play. To open things up in front of him for a, a, an easy goal, but it's you got to look it up. Uh, it's it's sensational stuff. I mentioned earlier about Memphis Depay that if I had to guess, when it's all said and done for Barcelona this summer, Frankie De Jong, I do think eventually that'll come to a head and he'll go. And I think Memphis Depay will go as well. You've already seen him linked in rumors with certain clubs. Tottenham have been brought up. Um, there's some at Manchester United, some fans that I've seen wanting him to return there. Um, and uh, it's interesting. Like, if you're wondering whether or not he'll go, if this is just kind of being invented out of nowhere, I found this. Listen to this. This, this is a recent interview that Jean Laporta gave to Tudin. 
uh, where he said this. He said, Lewandowski's a born goal scorer, different from what we have had. Uh, I think Johan would have liked him, meaning Cruyff, I assume. Uh, with Rafinha, Dembele, Ferran Torres, who has goals uh, and potential, Ansu Fati, Aubameyang, Abe's progressing well. We have an attack that is sure to put on a show. What was missing from that? He mentioned all those names of all their attacking prowess. Didn't mention Memphis Depay. Is that an oversight, or is that a guy that he's not planning on being part of their future plans? I don't think that Memphis is in their future plans. They got to get rid of somebody. Yeah, uh, they just have to. And that and the people they get rid of, like it's not that they're not good. They have to get rid of good players specifically because they need money. You don't get money for bad players. So it's not a slight to him that he's going to be an odd man out potentially. And wherever he does wind up, again, if if he goes, he's a good player, and so clubs would would do well, I think, to get in on this and see if they can poach him because I think that he's there to be uh, he's there to be gotten. So, but if if you haven't seen the goal that he scored, do it right now. Go, we'll wait. It's it's amazing. It's a um, fun one. Just yeah. on that game, uh, John Muller, one of the best followers uh, from the Athletic. Phil Neville called a friendly against Barcelona, the biggest game in Inter-Miami's history, and then brought on his own son and David Beckham's son, who have zero MLS minutes between them to play in it. That was just... If I'm a first-team player at Inter-Miami and I see that happening, like, absolutely stinks. Like and he like he he said uh, Neville had said they'd earned. The I right. mean, it is an exhibition. Oh, for God's sake! We just saw Beckham, Barcelona. We saw Beckham score. Well, if it's the biggest, if it's the biggest game in town, then it's the biggest game, or it's the biggest game in the club's history. Then you play your first team squad. These two guys, like and Romeo Beckham, is a, he quit football and then decided to come back to it. I've heard um, what is his name, Harvey Neville or whatever his name. I've I've heard he's a decent player. He might be okay. He he doesn't have a senior MLS appearance. He has no MLS minutes. That is a card, a complete joke. He they earned the right to play in it. Like that that that's the kind of thing that makes like when people we're talking about perceptions of American soccer, perceptions of like when people see stuff like that, the owner's son and the manager's son coming on against Barcelona. Well, if they're good enough to play, they've earned minutes against they should play against the MLS teams first, no? Yeah, of now, course they look, should. Harvey Neville came on at the half. In fairness to Romeo Beckham, he came on in like the eighty-seven. I oh, even worse, even worse. <laughs> they were down six nil. Even worse, like even Is worse. It? Oh, just get him in, just get him in, get him on against Barcelona. He's played against Barcelona. What a treat for my boy. What a but nice like, thing to do. But they're starters. Like, do you? It's a big game or it's not a big game, Andrew. Okay, it's not. It's not. We all know that it's not. The manager should. I don't care what he said. The manager shouldn't be talking about it beforehand then playing his own son it's oh my god it gives me the creeps if if you did it in amateur football you get ruined absolutely ruined oh, he's bringing on his son <laughs> all of a sudden against the big side the glamour side huh yeah hate it Abs- oh I hate it I can see that yep give that if they are good enough maybe they are good enough they should have they should be playing in in with the first team squad in MLS, they should already have minutes. Uh, I, I, yeah, I guess I don't really have much of a response. No, to it. heaven, forbid, heaven forbid you'd back me up. I, I mean, I don't know. It's a friendly. Like, I guess I just don't see it as. Then don't like, say it's the biggest game in Inter Miami's history. Look, I, I can't, I can't speak to him saying that. It's not. It just isn't. Like, so Joe, maybe, well, uh, he, maybe he's trying to build it up. 
and trying to drum up fan interest in this game. Yeah, um, I, I don't know, but like a friendly, just it can't be the biggest game in their history. It it's wa- just not, and it just wasn't. It just wasn't, and and decisions like that prove it. Uh, where am I at? <laughs> Has anything caught your eye in the preseason? Uh, Manchester United. Uh, John McKenzie uh, of of uh, Tifo Football tweeted this, and I I concur. Uh, I regret to inform you that Erickton Hags Manchester United look good. This looks like a team with structure. This looks like a team that is being molded. Now it's only preseason. I will grant you that, and there's plenty of United fans are. You know, they're wary. They don't believe the squad is the depth, but it looks like this coach is, is trying to impress upon the team what he wants and uh, is a coach who knows exactly how he wants the side to play. They er- had a stunning team goal. Yeah, it was uh, really, really good. It was the second goal, I think. Um, from Like, it started with the keeper and, and like... We'll we'll get to that. Oh, okay. Um, so Eric Ten Hag said this. I think it's preseason, and we are happy with the improvement we see. But also, you see a lot of work to do. We scored some wonderful goals, and that is also true. We press all day, and if we can, do that high up the pitch. But if we can't, we get to do that in a lower block. But we also have to press and do it together as a team. I see all switches we can avoid, and we can prepare a better press. And I think also on the ball we play well. But you see in the end when it's two or three nil up, the belief is increasing and he, he spoke specifically about that second goal which he which he really liked um, it was also interesting to hear I don't know if you saw this on Twitter Ten Hag on the sideline um, against Palace and a ball was played back to David De Gea and he just whacked it down the field and gave up possession and all you can hear is Ten Hag screaming David what the f*** are you doing just like screaming that um, <laughs> which I kind of love like he's not afraid to yeah but he has a specific style and look as much as I don't want Manchester United to do well, it would vindicate me if Ten Hag is good because here's a manager with a clear idea of what, what he wants to happen. Now, look, it was Palace. I don't think Palace were in close to full strength. But still, you know, getting your ideas over and getting them over quickly is important. Um, so what happens when Mr. Personality rolls back into town and you've got to deal with it's that? It's going to be interesting. It is. It definitely is. Um, one other thing, Maguire. Ronaldo, by the way. Yeah, well, Maguire being booed, which... It just seems to me like... And that game's in Melbourne. I can't believe that there are 10... So just remind me. He was booed last season playing for England. He was never booed at Old Trafford. Not that I remember. I I don't think he... I would be shocked if he was. And he wasn't certainly wasn't booed by the United Away support. So this is like this contagion that happens where people see videos online and these supporters who are not week in and week out at Old Trafford, these are Australian-based Manchester United supporters. And it's just like, almost like herd mentality. Well, Maguire, they booed him for the first 30 minutes of the game. That yeah, it's it's. I find it a little. It's weird. outrageous. He does not deserve that. No, I don't think so either. I don't think a Manchester United captain's ever been booed in that in that fashion. It's a little weird. It's very weird, and I do think it's more part of online football rather than anything else. Final one, final one. Uh, Jesse Lingard believed to be looking for a hundred eighty thousand a week from his next club. So West Ham have said no, we're not doing that. Um, but the rumors are that Nottingham Forest are willing to do it, mm. which I think is. Mental, absolute madness. One hundred and eighty thousand a week. Do you know? I was reading a football three six five. You know who that would put him on par with wages wise. I mean, it's a, Roberto Firmino and Trent yeah. Alexander Arnold. Yeah. 
this is it's absolute insanity. You know, a player is a right to go out and advocate and look for them for himself and look for the most amount of money he can possibly get. But if Nottingham Forest are doing that on a player who is not going to be the difference between them staying up and going down, well, uh, you don't know that. I mean, look what he did for West Ham a couple seasons ago. So you, you never know what the impact I, that he makes could be, I, especially for a club like that that could be. I think that money could be line. spread out amongst. Yeah, them. look, I I wouldn't hate him for getting it. But but a club willing to give that to him, I would have I would I'd scratch my head at it. Well, if That's, West Ham are saying no, surely Nottingham Forest should say, oh maybe. I mean, unless maybe they think they can afford it, like they're probably not paying a ton of wages to other guys. They're getting all this Premier League TV money. They might think, you know what, we. We can afford it, and if and they might think that he might be the difference between them staying up and going down. It's that's conceivable. Um, so, yeah, may, maybe that's that's the landing spot. And uh, you know what? He'd probably do a good job there. We'll see. Yeah. Um. Uh, well, I guess if that's all we got, then uh, let's let's close out the pod with uh, with this. I'll check the web. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present to you. I went on the internet this week and I found this. Oh, this is wonderful. What have you found? Oh, this is great. Things I saw on the internet presented by the internet. Uh, A late edition, but it goes right to the top of our list. Uh, Sky Sports News reporting on Twitter. Recently signed Halifax Town player Jamie Allen has joined the cast of Love Island. Halifax Town have released a statement saying the matter will be reviewed on his return. They're supposed to play Farsley Celtic in a preseason game on Saturday. However, Jamie Allen, their new signing is nah And off he goes to, to the Love Island island to wander around showing off his bod yep. and talking to other similarly attractive people. Oh, nice. I have one. Oh, go ahead. It comes from the Watford Observer, JJ. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> it's not what you want. I'm reading now uh, from Andrew French. He said, It was an embarrassing evening for Watford Sporting Director Cristiano Gioretta on Monday after he inadvertently shared a semi-naked picture of a woman on his Instagram stories. The black and white photograph with strategically placed blue butterflies and the message sleep tight appeared just after 10 p.m. on Gioretta's personal Instagram page and was deleted soon after. Jesus. Um, Be careful out there, people. Uh, Speaking of being careful and safety... Neil Warnock has this to tell you about the heatwave. Well, here I am on my cycle, trying to keep healthy, especially on a day like today with the weather, but uh, don't get dehydrated. Plenty of fluids and stay healthy. <laughs> that uh, The last time I looked, that had 1.3 million views, and I accounted at least half a million of those views. <laughs> <laughs> the visual is striking. Him on his on me cycle, as he puts it. The things that that stood out for me in this, uh, number one, he's riding a bike wearing gloves. Is that normal? I've never seen people. You've do heard that. of driving gloves. Uh, all right. Yeah, I mean, in like that's like Austin Powers type stuff. Yeah, but it, cycling gloves are a real thing. But like, but, I, but who wears them? But I, and not for people in their seventies. So he's who got, are not going like fifty miles. He's got gloves on. He's his bike also has a rear view mirror, <laughs> which is just perfect. He's wearing a golf shirt. Well, I'm okay with that. Okay, but the gloves, the rearview mirror—he's—he's he's really going and for it. And a bag on the back. <laughs> I wonder what's in there. I'd like to. Know. We, we have to. We get, need more information. We got to get him on the podcast. This guy's at a loose end. <laughs> he's something. Yeah, he really he's is. A fascinating man. Um, next up. Oh. Uh, state papers reveal plan for Celtic versus Rangers in 1998. So. Um, 
I saw, saw this on RTE. A special football match between Celtic and Rangers in Belfast to publicise the referendum on the Good Friday Agreement was proposed by Number 10 advisor and Burnley supporter Alistair Campbell, according to British Cabinet Papers just released. Mr Campbell suggested that the team wear each other's jerseys in the match. However, he admitted one or two of the Rangers players, to my certain knowledge, would have a difficulty with this. Mr Campbell, whose parents were from Scotland, said he had a direct in with Celtic while he could get Manchester United manager Alex Ferguson to approach Rangers. Both in terms of raising publicity for the campaign and in sending out a message. It would be very powerful. Um, so he sent this to the uh, Scottish Secretary Donald Dewar and uh, Mr. Campbell asked if this was worth looking into. There is no record of anyone getting back to him. Oh. So basically the Good Friday Agreement there was going to be a referendum to bring uh, final peace to Ireland, uh, to Northern Ireland. And it was, it was the culmination of... of after decades of war and he Alistair Campbell got so excited that he thought the thing to do was to bring in like this was a sectarian war Protestant versus Catholic the best thing we can do is to bring in a Catholic team that hates a Protestant team and a Protestant team that bring all those supporters to Belfast and ask them to swap jerseys he had a vision it w- do you think it would have worked? I don't. I don't think this one would have worked. I think it would. I think his heart was in the right place with what he was trying to achieve, uh, but I don't. Yeah, I don't think it would have worked. Yeah, pretty bad. These state papers they get released after so many years, and they they throw up some interesting things. So that was the spin doctor of the Labour Party in the nineteen nineties, Alistair Campbell, with a bad idea. Uh, Jose Mourinho got a tattoo. Mm-hmm. Saw it. Uh, it was of the cups that he's won, the European cups that he's won. He's done a unique uh, triple. He's done the Europa League twice, Manchester United and Porto. He's done the European Champions League with Porto and Inter Milan. And he's done the inaugural UEFA Conference League with Roma. Um, The design looks great. The execution, not so much. They're not the best tattoos I've ever seen. No, they're not. No. They're not. And is it because he's got kind of a wrinkly arm? No, he looks fine. He's in great shape. We we, we should all be so lucky to look like him when we're that age, right. all right? It's just badly executed. Yeah, I just don't think that, I don't know, it's just not the best looking tattoos I've ever seen. That's all. Yeah. And finally, Andrew, oh. we're celebrating 30 years. 30 years of a rule. This summer marks 30 years of the back pass rule. How was there ever a time before that? It was a bad time. Uh, it was a boring time. It was a dull time. They estimated that the Irish goalkeeper, the aforementioned Packy Bonner, held the ball against Egypt for a cumulative six minutes. Uh, <laughs> I mean... So the ball was rolled back. That's how you kill time. That's how Liverpool won a lot of championships in tight games. No, it reminds me of like there was a time when basketball didn't have a shot clock. And teams would just hold the ball. Ugh. Like, they go four corners offense. Spread them out. Like, how did we not have these things always? So, I don't get it. So Stuart James of The Athletic done a nice piece. Go and read it. But America has a role in this. The first violator of the back pass rule was Kyle Campbell. He played for the United States at the U-17 World Championship in Italy, where he performed brilliantly and was named in FIFA's team of the tournament. But the, he's a real estate uh, guy now in California. And the story he always drops is, I was the first one to violate the back pass rule. Interesting. Um, do you know what he got for being in the team of the tournament, being the goalkeeper of the tournament? Uh, no. He got presented with a 
disc man, like a walk, uh, a ghetto blaster, but with, with the CD component. Okay. A JVC one. From, nice. From Pele. Wow. Yeah. Do you know who he saved a penalty from? Uh, under 17, this was in... 1990. Uh, so think mid-90s Italian strikers. Uh, Baggio. Oh, you're... you're, you're, in, you're uh, just li- tell me. Alessandro Del Piero. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was probably a little bit... Uh, Baggio probably was already established yeah. then, so yeah. Yeah, he was... Well, Baggio was in the senior squad, but... Yeah. Huh? Pretty cool. Pretty cool. How about all that? Uh, well, that you was, really have been busy on the internet, That was you? things I saw on the internet. Just to close out the Watford story... This poor guy. You get us kicked off the air. Uh, Gioretta posted an Instagram story afterwards, which simply said, Sorry, my mistake. Um, then, I guess, probably just like the terror and the fear was still within him, thinking that that wasn't enough. So, in the early hours of the morning, he posted a third Instagram story, which said, Notice, hacker on, sorry again. Uh, Watford actually addressed this. They released a club statement. The club considers this a private matter related to a personal account and will be issuing no further comment. End of story. Can you please close with the with the theme tune? I really like it. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, here it is. I'll check the web. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present to you the internet. I went on the internet this week. Oh, God. And I found this. Oh my God! It's like craft. Work. It. It's like craft work. <laughs> it's not. I mean, it's not craft. We're work. not allowed to use craft work. Well, I would not be so bold. Do you want just a quick craft work fact? Oh sure. So uh, this is a rumor I heard once that craft work when they'd be in the studio, they would leave a lot of the synths and, and machines running, playing sounds while they went for lunch. Okay. And when they come back, they'd see if they caught any hooks that they could use. Really. Yeah. That's interesting. It's a rumor. It's a craft work rumor. I believe it. I believe all rumors. Hey, this was fun, my friend. We'll be back, of course, with another edition next week. We're closing in on our EPL preseason preview, uh, or season preview. Uh, preseason preview, I guess we There has a been no off-season. Like, well, unbelievable teams stuff. have been back for three weeks now. Have, by the way, I've started to, like, the fear within me, thinking about, normally when we do our World Cup or European Championships or whatever, group previews, it's kind of in the dead of summer. And there's like not really a whole lot else to like bog us down. Right. And we could just focus on those. It's a lot of work. Like I, we love doing it, but those group previews are a lot of work. Have you thought about when we're going to have to be putting those out and doing them? Like right in the midst of the start of the Premier League season, like the amount of October, stuff, <laughs> the amount of stuff going on. I know. We should get started. Curse right? you, Seth Blatter. <laughs> get started right away. Hey. This was fun, JJ. To you, I say... Stay healthy. Take care. (laughs) You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 